Well, as we approach Resurrection Sunday next week, it's hard to believe we've made it. <laughs> I think I said that at Christmas, but I hinted at that earlier just a few moments ago. This is a different Palm Sunday for us than last year, and I'm grateful. This is a different Palm Sunday for us in a lot of ways, and I'm grateful. It's your 31st anniversary. It's uh, my second anniversary as your pastor. But weirdly, this Resurrection Sunday will be my third Resurrection Sunday. I can't make that math work, but that's the way it is. That's the way it goes. I'm looking forward to it. It's been quite a year, hasn't it? But I hope that it's made you look more forward to special moments like this when we can gather and worship. We open with one of the traditional readings of Palm Sunday, the text this morning, describing Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And I feel the urge when I read that text, if you read on in Matthew and even some of the other Gospels, the Pharisees start to mouth up and say, hey, tell these disciples to quiet down. These little ones are too loud. And Jesus said, if they hold their peace, does anybody know what he says? The rocks will cry out. There was an old gospel song written years ago. The grammar is terrible, but the spirit is great. It says, I don't want no rocks to cry out in my place. I feel the urge to worship and to rejoice when I think about Jesus making that triumphant entry into Jerusalem, but then my mind goes forward to the events that lay ahead of him in the week ahead, knowing what's coming. This week, I have a challenge for you. Ashley did such a great job explaining that little thing that we have for your families, right? Something little to enjoy together with your little ones. Now I want to talk to everybody else who may not take a little box with them today. I want you to step out of the noise and the traffic of this week, which means you're going to have to change some rhythms this week. Maybe turn off some things that you normally engage in and turn on. Unplug and invite Jesus to make a triumphant entry into your schedule, your viewing habits, your field of view, your quiet moments this week. It's Holy Week if you look at a liturgical calendar. We don't necessarily follow that, but we acknowledge that it is, in fact, a week that we can worship our God and King in significant ways, joining with the rest of the church in the world saying, this is a special and somber and celebratory week. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would right now make a triumphant entry into our hearing and into my preaching and into this time of worship we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you were with us last week, we covered quite a bit of ground and uh, we made our final turn in loving God and loving our neighbors. When we looked at God's law and this covenant scroll, if you were to step back in the Exodus narrative, you would find this section referred to as the covenant scroll, and we actually are coming to the epilogue, if you will. That's, that's where we were last week and, and this week. But we, we didn't get a chance to, to bear down on the festival celebrations. You saw the Sabbath mentioned in the text, which I'm sure you all went back and read. <laughs> no? okay. uh, the Sabbath was mentioned, and festival celebrations were mentioned there. And uh, I want to talk about those very quickly this morning because they set the stage beautifully for the text today. Um, 
the Sabbath we've covered already when we talked about the law, but it's a day of rest, but rest for animals and slaves and servants and foreigners in the land. It's a, it's a time to rest and refresh and worship God. It's also a year of rest. Every seventh year, they would take a year of rest. Every seven years, there was to be no sowing or reaping, and that was so that the poor could benefit from the land while the land itself got to rest. They didn't over-farm in that age. They were careful to let the land rest as well. Right in between resting and celebrating, if you've got your Bibles open, open them back to Exodus 23, just so you can track with me right here. It's pretty, pretty remarkable where this text inserts itself. So we've got the Sabbath rest, and then we've got these awesome festivals where I'm just going to mention this morning, but right in between there in Exodus 23, 13, the Bible says, pay attention to all that I have said to you, God is saying, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. What? So between this time of rest that I'm enjoying myself and I'm about to party in the festivals, God says, I don't want half-hearted commitment on your day off. I still want all of you. God still demands all of our allegiance even when we're relaxed. You're like, man, don't I get to let my guard down? Yes, of course you do. But as the Holy Spirit is working in you and Jesus is making you new, letting your guard down shouldn't violate who God is and how he's commanded us to be. So we got rest and then we get to these festivals. It's the festival of unleavened bread. That's one of them. Um, that's also, that celebrated Israel's liberation. We know that is Passover. It's part of the Passover celebration. There's the festival of harvest. That celebrated God's provision. And then there's the festival of ingathering. You also see it referred to as scripture, in Scripture as the Festival of Booths and the Festival of um, Tabernacles. That would celebrate and point to God's salvation. So, so, you get it, so you've got that unleavened bread. That was them leaving in the Passover. We celebrated a resurrection Seder at my house last night where we went through the elements of the Passover but worked through it from a resurrection perspective. It was a beautiful time with our family. We enjoyed it so much. You've got that unleavened bread and then you've got them being delivered and God providing for them with the harvest and then their salvation where they could actually sit and enjoy the harvest these feasts were rich in their teaching on salvation and the old testament God gives us these experiences so we can understand the meaning of salvation Philip Riken writes this though and I love this quote he says Jesus Christ is the savior God always planned to send <laughs> he's the source of sanctification first fruits of our resurrection he's the Lord of the harvest he's the God of our salvation this is the gospel we're reading according to Moses so if anybody asks you, is the gospel in the Old Testament, the answer is a resounding yes, because that's the Bible Jesus used when he was here on earth. Wow. The gospel according to Moses? Well, it makes sense. The law points us to Christ. The law is like an x-ray machine. Question, how many of you have ever had an x-ray? Just a show of hands, I'm curious. X-ray? Got an x-ray? Awesome. And did it show, like, what was it? How many of you have had a broken bone? Just confession time. Broken bone? Great. What do you all do? My word. I'm just kidding. So uh, what do you do Sunday to Sunday? Great. Um, 
So, so here's the deal. An x-ray machine reveals what's going on, right? You get under that x-ray, and man, technology today is astounding at what they can see. But to be honest, even the primitive x-ray machines were still a leap forward for diagnosis in the medical field. They could see things they weren't able to see before and knew how to repair fractures. But the x-ray machine that is so indispensable to the process doesn't actually heal anything. I mean, in fact, they're putting on these lead aprons and stuff to get away from you. I'm not so sure it might even hurt you, right? The dentist says, it's fine. And then they go get on a hazmat suit and step in the other room. <laughs> okay, should I have two of these a year? Let's take another one. The x-ray doesn't help us. The law does the same thing. It shows us where we fall short of the glory of God. God was interested in Israel glorifying him every day, though, in their humdrum lives, in their day-to-day -day activities, not just when they showed up at a festival or showed up to worship. We know that Jesus saves sinners and gives them his spirit and it enables Christians to glorify the Lord as well. And he wants us to glorify him in our everyday lives. I mean, you look good. Y'all look good on Sunday with those palm leaves. You look nice today. It's awesome. And thanks for not doing that during the sermon. Although I know I just said that and some kiddos are going to do it now. I get it. But uh, you look good on Sunday. But God wants to be glorified and shine through all those broken cracks in your life. When you leave this place, when you're at the workplace, when you're in your home, when you and your spouse are having intense discussions, God still wants to be glorified. The text that Norm read for us this morning is beautiful text, and the passage we're going to look at in 24 quickly this morning points us to these two big things here. You ready? The conquest of Canaan. I, I, don't, I feel like I have to say that with a stern voice. The conquest of Canaan. Who talks like that? The conquest of Canaan. Anyway, that's a good description. And then this, ready? The confirmation of the covenant. I could do the rest of the sermon that way if you want me to. The confirmation of the I won't. But these are two important pivotal moments. God is about to reveal to them how he's going to lead them, and then he's about to invite them to worship. I entitled the sermon this morning, actually had another title until this morning. And when I went back over the text, I was just drawn to the fact that God really ultimately here is inviting the people to worship, just like he did you. Even though you're sitting in a pew, even though you have your device dialed in to a church service from the heart of South and Charlotte, God still, even now, is inviting you to worship. You've got two points to write down and a few little sub-notes beneath them. Not a lot of notes this morning. First point to write down is the coming conquest. And you should write it somehow in the voice that I read it in earlier, like write it all caps or something, you know, the coming, the coming conquest. Exodus 23, verses 20 through 33. That's the passage we just read. God here is describing how he's going to lead them into this land with now hostile enemies that are going to try to block them from getting where they need to be with God. There's application, but I want us to live for just a moment in what's actually happening. Don't ever run to the Bible too fast to figure out, what's in this for me? You need to understand who it was written to right there and what God is saying, because it has to be true there before you can make application for you. It's that inductive method we talk about so often. We do observation, right? We look at what it says. We do interpretation with skills and tools that help us get dig into the text. And then we get to application as a result. 
So as we observe the text, we see, and I do want to put one verse up. I think I have it up. That's verse 20, Exodus 23, 20. I've got it on the screen. You've got it in your Bibles in front of you, but let's look at it together. I'm going to ask you to do something we do once in a while around here. Let's read this verse together out loud, Exodus 23, 20. You can remain seated, but let's read it together out loud. Ready? Here we go. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. If we observe this verse, we can see a few things. We can see that God has prepared a place. You see it? I'm not reaching with that. You see it? We also see that God is leading the way. He's preparing for leadership. Here's the first little note you can write down underneath, trust God for victory. You ready? or underneath, sorry, the coming conquest, I gave it away. Trust God for victory. Trust God for victory. That's what God's asking his people to do here. The Lord has made arrangements to lead them, and he's made arrangements to do it. Look, from the front, he's sending an angel before them. Go back and read the text. This is not just any angel. This is a special angel of the Lord who is acting on the authority of the Lord. It could very well be a Christophany, that Old Testament appearance of Christ speaking with that authority. We, there's a lot of like great writing on what it is. I, I just want you to see the fact that God is trustworthy because he can lead you. He knows what he's doing. He's making arrangements to lead us. The Lord has arranged for their protection. Do you see it? He wants to guard them on the way. This is better than the secret service. God himself will fight for them and with them. The Lord has planned the route, the way. He's planned the direction they're going to go, and he's promised their arrival. Look at it. I'm going to bring you to the place. You and I may read a text like this, and I want to tell you something. It is short-sighted and short-circuited in your thinking. If you read this text and go like, man, I wish I had an angel that would do that for me, you've got better. You've got the word of the living God, and you've got God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. For those of us that are in Christ, living inside of us, leading us, guiding us, fighting our battles for us, protecting us, and promising that he's able to keep that which we've committed to him unto that day. God is going to faithfully lead you, but he's calling you to do like the hymn we closed in last week, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You've got better. Trust the Lord. The second little bullet I'd have you write under that first note there is this. Obey God's commands. So we trust God for victory and we obey God's commands. In verses 21 and 22, I can still hear Norm's voice in my head reading those verses. He says a couple phrases appear. Pay careful attention. Carefully obey. Obey his voice. Do all that I say. Pretty clear. Now the parents in the room are with me right now. Right? We've all done this. Uh, little Vivian's gotten mentioned a couple times. If I'm on in the nursery and they can hear me audibly, I bet she's turned to that speaker every time when she heard Miss Ashley and Pastor Chad mention her name. I love you. We love you, Vivian. We love you too, Shepherd, and all the other babies in there. I'm in trouble now. Sorry, I got to stop. Okay, so you imagine holding that precious little girl's face, that precious little boy's face, and saying, I'm going to tell you one more time. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? 
If you don't do this, you will be disobeying. Every parent and some of the kids, I can see the bead of sweat, right? You're starting to fan with the Hosanna leaf. You're thinking, uh-oh, this is a hitting a little close to home. This happened in the parking lot as we walked in. I get it. We glorify God by walking in obedience to what he said. In Joshua 1, 8, and 9, this encouragement to Joshua He's encouraged by the word of the Lord. This book of the law shall not depart from out of your mouth, but you should meditate to observe and do according to all that's written in it, meditating on it day and night. For then you'll make your way prosperous and have good success. Joshua 1, 8, 9, the next verse, the Lord says to him, it's then I've commanded you, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. Watch this, for I am with you wherever you go. We can trust God, but we demonstrate that we trust God by obeying God. And when we trust and obey, guess what? We get to receive God's blessings. The rest of our text this morning, as God is describing this conquest of Canaan that's going to happen for the children of Israel, look at what's going on here. He's giving them just incredible incredible insight into how these battles are going to go. He names the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. By the way, there'll be a spelling test later. Be sure that you've read those. He tells them about battles and skirmishes, but he wants them to remember they have already been delivered. In the same way, you and I will have battles to face too, but we are fighting from Victory, victory, God has already won for our eternal salvation, the ultimate battle, he won it at Calvary. Just like our Lord was encouraging Israel that they wouldn't have to fight alone, I want to encourage you this morning, and some of us don't really believe this, because what we believe, what we really believe, affects the way that we behave. Everything else is just religious talk, and the world's all stocked up on that, y'all. But I want to remind you this morning, you are not alone. It is a lie of the enemy to whisper or scream at you whatever he says, however it comes, to tell you that you are alone and nobody knows what you're going through and nobody's been through this and you're the worst and all this. Paul already has the title of the chief of sinners. He said it, we don't have to compete with him. You're not alone. You don't have to fight alone. If you are in Christ this morning, God has given you these blessings of his spirit and the church. One of the ways that we see God glorified at Grace Covenant Church on a regular basis is when one of you hurts, many of you respond and run with mercy. It's beautiful. When the enemy sneaks in and tries to cut you off, maybe you need to close your eyes if you feel weak and even wounded and remind yourself, whisper, shout it, I don't care. I'm not alone. I am not alone. God unpacks some of the other blessings he will give to his people. He says he would be their bread and their water. He would bless their families. He's going to protect their babies. He's going to provide for them spiritually. And he warns them about being entangled in the worlds of pagans. He says, now if you get mixed up with these other gods and other practices, it's going to cost you and it's going to rob you of your blessings. I don't know how more practical to be than that, to say when you try to do Jesus and or mix other things in or we'll just dabble in this addictive 
uh, tendency or we'll dabble in that addictive tendency or we'll take this pagan culture or we'll take that pagan thing into your family. You are playing with fire and it doesn't end well. It robs you of blessings. Trust God, obey God, receive God's blessings. Then the Lord calls Moses and um, the 70 elders and Aaron and his two sons up to worship and we come to our second header this morning as we are in the process of winding up. The covenant confirmed. I do want you to take these big Bible word notes. I want you to write down the coming conquest. That's what's happening there. The covenant confirmed. This is important stuff. It covers this first half of chapter 24. You're gonna read most of that on your, as your homework uh, this week. Uh, even if it is spring break, you still got a little bit of homework, okay? But in order for any covenant to be properly established, it has to be confirmed. A solemn occasion in which everything needs to be done decently and in order. This is where I was really struck by this title for the sermon, this invitation to worship. There are two invitations we see here. The first one is this. If you're taking notes, here's your first invitation. God invites all the people. And he invites the people and then confirms this covenant at this point with blood. We're going to unpack that in the text. I don't know how you want to write that. Maybe God invites the people, confirms blood. Got it written down? If you look at Exodus 24, verses 3 uh, through 8, we're not going to put them on the screen. I'll touch one verse in a moment. But if you're looking through that, you'll see that Moses comes and tells all the people the words of the covenant. But this gathering that happened actually started in Exodus 19 when God gathered this people at the base of Mount, does anybody remember where we are? Mount Sinai, right. I used to think it was Sinai. It's not. It's Mount Sinai. Sorry, lesson learned. It's where we've been for the last several weeks. And here at this place, God has organized this mob and this motley crew into a nation that could serve and worship him according to his standards. Uh, just a side note here. God never expects people to guess about what it takes to please him. You don't have to wonder, well, I'm just trying to figure this thing out on my own. Please don't. Like, we don't let surgeons do that. You, you, don't, you don't want, uh, you know, attorneys doing that. You don't want skilled professionals, responsible things. You don't want your, your yard guy doing that. I, you don't want anybody to do that, but you want to do that spiritually? No, no, no. You don't have to figure it out on your own. I know of a great resource that can help point you and direct you. You could actually get into the Word so the Word can get into you. There you go, Grace Covenant. Happy anniversary. Pagan gods and the gods of men's imaginations are the gods that like to keep their people in the dark. Imaginary gods love to keep their followers in the dark and deal with the mysterious and the mystical and act like all of these things are out of reach. That's paganism. That's not the God of this Bible. The God of this Bible delights to reveal himself and his eternal power and divine nature to his people so they'll know how to please him. Side note, took longer than I meant to. Moving on. Moses runs through all this. He reads the law to the people. The people affirm their intention to obey. And then Moses does something we haven't seen yet. He sprinkles the people with blood. Aren't you glad you got palm leaves coming in instead of another practice that happened in Scripture? Yeah? He sprinkles the people with blood to seal the covenant. It's this startling thing. We've seen blood on doorposts. <gasps> right? We've seen blood on uh, the lentils. We've seen blood on um, altars but not on the people. 
This must be serious. It's a reminder to them that they're to be set apart, and they are set apart by blood. We need the blood, too. The atoning sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, personally applied to our lives. I'll come back to that in the closing. The second invitation we see is God invites the leaders and confirms that covenant there with a meal. God invites the leaders and confirms it with a meal. Your verses there are verses 1 and 2 and 9 and 11. We're going to look at 9 and 11 in just a moment. Let me get you there first. God invites the leaders to come up a little bit higher. We're going to read that in just a moment. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, those are Aaron's two sons, and 70 elders get to go up a little higher on the mountain, partway up the mountain, to observe more of God's splendor and majesty. And then God confirms this covenant by a meal in God's presence. Wow. Now, the elders were elders from the 70 families that were there and would have probably naturally been elders, but these elders, like elders today, were still selected because of their faithfulness, their trustworthiness, and their skillfulness. Aaron and his sons would be the priests on the other side of Sinai, but they didn't have a job yet. But they still got to sup with the Lord. What in the world did they see? Take your Bibles or you can look at the screen. We're going to look at verses 9 through 11. It's the last part of our text this morning. So these guys, the elders, and Moses, and Aaron and his two sons come up and they saw the God of Israel. Now I'm going to unpack that in the original language just a little bit. But they get to see something. What do they see? They see under his feet, as it were, pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. Mercy. Next verse. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Wow. The leaders of Israel observed a spectacular display of God's glory. Go back to the previous verse for me there, Mark. You can see it there. Look at what they're looking at. Process that. It's under his feet. It's like they get to see this manifestation of God. They see the glory of God seated as a king. They see beautiful blue pavement of some kind that was clear like a precious stone. It's like they're looking up underneath. It's kind of hard to make out from the description. We do know this. They didn't get to see all of God because God says no man could see him and live. They also didn't get to see all the full glory of God because we know that our God is an all-consuming fire. So they get to see exactly what God wants them to see. They feasted in celebration as a result. A couple things here about this lesson. It reminds us that the leaders of God's people should be first in line to obey, to trust, and to respond to God's invitation. But God is inviting all of us to know him. God is inviting all of us to find him in his word and he's inviting all of us to fellowship with him. We would do well to remember that leadership is a serious responsibility and assignment in serving the body. Therefore, God holds leaders to a higher standard, Old Testament and New Testament. James warns that don't rush to try to be in charge of anything. But God here is inviting the leaders to come up and experience his glory in a distinct way. 
If any of the elders at Grace Covenant Church this morning get to see a little more of God's glory than the non-elders, it's not because we are closer to God. That's not what's going on here. You know, I was meditating on this this week. We don't have VIP access. It's that we get to see God's glory manifested in your lives. You see, from our perspective, we get to watch your victories and your joys, and they become our victories and our joys, and we get to enter into that experience with you. Your joys become ours. We get to multiply those successes, and it's all kinds of awesome. I don't know how else to say that. We also get to see the Lord glorified in your sorrows and pain as the body of Christ mobilizes to remind you that you're not alone, that we're in this together in a covenant sealed with blood. There's joy in serving, leading in the body of Christ. It's a noble calling indeed. And church family, you are right to expect your elders and your deacons and those in leadership to set the tone and the pattern for worshiping God, for prayer, for generosity, for teachability, for submitting to one another. We ought to be modeling that well. Why would we make such a careful study of Exodus 24 and 23? Why spend time at Mount Sinai? You ought to spend more time at Mount Calvary. Well, I believe that Israel's experience at Mount Sinai can teach us some things today. I close with this. Like the Israelites, we can trust God to lead us in victory. God didn't just save you and then say, have at it. (laughs) He wants to lead you and guide you tenderly. We too can stand in the presence of a holy God who calls us to worship him. Like the Israelites, the law shows us where we're broken. But we can belong to God like them on the basis of blood. On this side of redemptive history, on this side of Mount Calvary, let me remind you, Jesus kept the law for you. Jesus perfectly obeyed God's will for you. And because we have been loved by the Father, we are being invited by the Holy Spirit to come and receive Jesus Christ. As we've seen before in Exodus, blood matters Meals matter. In the gospel, we discover that we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child, and forever I am. This meal, we see happen again in a way, don't we? This feast of unleavened bread, this Passover, this supping in God's presence in Luke 22, Jesus would call the disciples together for a meal. We'll break bread and have this meal together next week, the Lord's Supper. And he says this cup is the new covenant because it's not the blood of a sacrifice sprinkled on the people. It's my blood applied to your life. Our precious Lord's sacrificial death would appease God's divine wrath and reconcile us to God. In the gospel, we see meals matter. In fact, there's another supper coming, the marriage supper of the Lamb. I love communion Sundays. We'll have one next Sunday. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm really looking forward to the meal when we get to sit down 
literally in the Lord's presence and respond to that invitation to worship. I wonder how you'll respond to that invitation this morning. Some of you need to come to the foot of the mountain, not Mount Sinai, to see the laws that you've broken, but knowing that you're a lawbreaker, come to Mount Calvary. Accept God's invitation of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Some of us need to accept God's invitation to go deeper and have more intimate fellowship with Him. The title of the sermon, An Invitation to Worship. But guess who's giving the invitation? The Spirit and the Bride say come. And let the one who hears come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Let's stand together and pray. While the musicians are coming, I wonder how you'll respond to the invitation. We don't give an invitation like maybe you're accustomed to in your tradition where people would come to the front and kneel at an altar. That's not off limits here. If you want to do that, you certainly can do that. But the invitation stands every Sunday. It has. I've listened to a lot of Pastor D's preaching and teaching and the services, and there's an invitation every week for 31 years. We're inviting everyone in the room and online to worship, but to worship on God's terms. Father, take your word this morning and pierce us, encourage us. Yes, we all need to be encouraged but we also need to be conformed into the image of your son. And we can't do that by keeping laws and trying to do good and hope our good outweighs our bad. Lord, we need to come to Calvary. We need to turn over our lives to you and say, Lord, I have been doing this myself. I recognize that as open rebellion to you. Wash me, cleanse me, make me new this morning. I give my life to you. And for some still, we've kind of gotten stuck. There's an area that we're struggling to obey in or there's a, an addiction that we're not willing to starve and it's keeping us from moving forward in our relationship with you. God, I pray today that we would respond to the invitation to come up higher and to fellowship a little more deeply and more intimately in your presence. Lord, as we come to worship you now as a church, be glorified and magnified in these moments. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Let's sing together. Amen.